we are um, doing a series on worry. A lot of people don't know this, but worry is fear's ugly cousin. How many of y'all got some ugly cousins? Don't point. <laughs> because we know that worry is rooted in anxiety. Worry is rooted in fear. And we're going to talk about that today. So let me tell you about my week. I know a lot of you have, uh, excuse me, a lot of you have heard about my eye situation, my right eye. So just let me tell you that story real quick. So my eye starts turning red. No big deal. I've had that happen before. I just thought it was something that would go away in a few days. It did not. We have a wonderful doctor, um, ophthalmologist who comes to the bridge and is also on our uh, elder team. And his name is Dr. Cheryl Glover. How many of y'all know Dr. Glover? Amen. So his eyes are great. As a matter of fact, he's an eagle eye. And when he walked in, I was standing at the Connect Center, and he saw my eye, and he said, what in the world's going on? Next thing I know, he's got the top and bottom lid, and he's pulled it open like that, and he's looking in there. <laughs> and he says, probably an infection. Let's start with that. So um, he got me some antibiotics and took those a while, nothing happened. Got me some steroids. Got some bigger muscles, but nothing happened with the eye. Just kidding, that's a joke. That was a joke right there. Um, and then I took an oral antibiotic, and still nothing happened. It didn't respond. So the eyes seems to be getting a little bit worse. So he sends me to a specialist, and uh, Dr. Forrester, or Forrest, in, uh, y'all know him, in Goldsboro? And uh, cool dude, man. I had on a pink uh, plaid shirt and a bright bow tie. My kind of guy. Cool shoes, too. So I felt safe with him. And um, so he looked in my eye, and uh, he hummed a little, mm, mm, mm. And so he sent me to a doctor in Greenville. He sent me to a neurosurgeon. That scared me a little bit. That made me worry a little bit. So I went to the neurosurgeon, and uh, on Friday, this past Friday, um, you know how they do a heart catheterization? They go up through your leg and look at your heart. Well, they went up through my leg and looked in my eye, looked in my head. And they said that the diagnosis was cavernous, root word being cavern, nothing up there, just a cavern. So, so the, the diagnosis was a cavernous sinus fistula. And I'm like, man, when I get something, I get the best stuff. I get the top shelf stuff. So here's the deal. Here's what that is, basically. I've got too much blood flowing into this eye. Uh, and so um, I go back Wednesday, and he is going to uh, look, uh, go over the pictures he took when he was in there looking at that cavern. He's going to go over the pictures with me and tell me what my options are. And the treatment for this is pretty risky. Uh, could lose, uh, I just want to milk this for everything I can get out of it, so let me tell you what all the risks are. Um, I could lose sight in this eye. I uh, could have a stroke. I, I, and here's the one that worries me the most. This eye could be paralyzed. Here's what I told Millie when he said that. I said, I guarantee you, if I go with the paralyzed thing, it's going to be looking that way. I guarantee you. And I'm going to be that guy that you don't know who I'm looking at. 
I'll be, I'll be preaching this way, but I'll be looking at y'all over there. So he said, what I might want to do, and we'll talk about it Wednesday, and I'll let everybody know, but what I might want to do is just go with it, you know, and not do anything unless it gets a lot worse. So that's where I am. And then I was kind of going through all that, and Millie and I were talking about it, and what we were going to do, and I said, what's my sermon series this week? She said, worry. I said, man. So God's going to really test me on this stuff, isn't he? Because you know what? And you know what? I, I thought about that report that I got that I didn't expect to get, that when I got that little red eye deal going on, I had no idea I was going to be standing up here telling this story. Because we don't know what a day holds. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen. We, do, we don't know what's going to happen not only the next day, we don't know what's going to happen the next minute. So here's what, here's what our tendency is. Our tendency is to stand in today, but reach into tomorrow and borrow trouble from tomorrow and bring it into today. Borrowed trouble. And worry is the interest you pay on borrowed trouble. It's okay to be concerned. It's okay to be sober. It's okay to be serious. It's okay to think about the future. But Jesus said, don't worry about the future. As a matter of fact, he said it in the book of Matthew. So get your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, turn to chapter 6. And there's a lot in chapter 6 we could read. And through this series, we'll, we will read more of it. But I want to focus on one verse today. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Matthew 6, 34. Jesus had already said a lot of stuff about worry, but then he gets to this verse and he says, So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's a good word from Jesus right there. Good word from Jesus. So we reach into the future. We bring problems, really not problems, because we're not there yet. We don't even know if they're going to be problems. We reach into the future and think of things that might be a problem and pull it into today, pull it into the present, borrowing trouble. And again, worry is the interest you pay on borrowed trouble. When the Bible says don't worry about tomorrow, Let's look at what that's not saying. That is not saying you shouldn't think about tomorrow or you shouldn't plan for tomorrow. That's not what that's saying. It means don't get worried about tomorrow. Don't get anxious about tomorrow. Don't get fearful about tomorrow. Again, it's not telling us not to think about it or plan it. Now, the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. So when the Bible says, don't worry, you could take that to mean, don't even think about tomorrow. But then we know there's another place in the Bible where Jesus gave us this story. He said, he said, 
in the Gospels, he asked a rhetorical question. He already knew the answer. He knew they already knew the answer, but he wanted them to think. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. You want to build a building. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? Won't you first sit down and what? Look into the future, think about the future, plan for the future. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if in the future you're going to have enough money, enough resources to do what you want to do. So the Bible is not against, listen, a thought out life. The Bible is not against a thought through life. The Bible is not against goals and planning but the Bible is definitely against worry. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus tells us why we shouldn't worry. He says, because tomorrow's trouble is enough for tomorrow's, but today's trouble, rather, is enough for today. In other words, don't borrow from the future. Every day, Jesus says, and y'all know this is true, every day has its own difficulties. Every day has its own challenges, but God wants us to have these difficulties. Now that little statement right there at the end may have shocked you a little bit, so I want to say it again. God plans for us to have some difficulties. God wants us to have some problems. He wants us to lean on Him. He wants us to seek Him. He wants us to react in faith. He wants us to react in trust. So he allows problems to come in our life. Now, y'all know this is true because you want your own children to have some challenges and you want them to walk through those challenges. Now, you're going to be there to walk with them through it, but you want them to walk through it and you want to see how they handle it and they'll come to you for advice, they'll come to you for guidance, they'll come to you for wisdom because you've already been there, done that, but you don't want to just step in and rescue your children from every difficulty they have because they will never grow up. They will never develop. So we want them to go through some difficult times. Our God in heaven is our Father. And he will plan difficulties. He will allow difficulties into your life. Now, I've been a pastor for about 40 years. And I've met a few Christians along the way that really, they think that the only reason God exists is to deliver his little darlings from their problems. But that is not the reason God exists. That's not true. God, listen, wants to deliver us through our problems, not from our problems. God wants you to grow up. God wants you to mature. God wants you to learn to trust him when you can't see him, when you can't feel him, when you can't hear him. He wants you to learn to trust him. Difficulties, again, are actually God's plan for us. Life's unexpected complications serve a purpose. So let me give you today in this message three purposes for trouble. Three reasons for sorrow, three reasons for pain, three reasons for suffering, three reasons for tough times that we go through. Now look, if you were up here preaching this sermon and you were going to give three reasons, you might give three totally different reasons, or you might have seven reasons or 15 reasons. I'm just going to give you three that I sensed in my heart that I wanted to share today, and I got to thinking about the book of Job Studying the book of Job, a man of faith, 
a man that hated evil and loved righteousness. So I know what the TV preachers say, you know, if we love the Bible and love God and have enough faith, we won't ever have any trouble. That sounds good. There's one thing wrong with that. It's not true. And that's not all TV preachers, but some of them teach that name it, claim it, frame it stuff. You know what I'm saying? I remember one time I heard that sermon and God was talking about he went into a new car lot and he's walked up and claimed this car and it was given to him. So I thought, man, I'm going to try that. And I walked up there and laid my hands on this car and claimed it in the name of Jesus. And there was a salesman right there that was thrilled. He went, hallelujah. Because he knew he was about to sell me that car that I thought God was just going to give me. And they gave me that car. I got that car. But I got a payment book about that thick to go right along with it. So we hear a lot of things taught today. We hear a lot of things preached today. I don't know where it comes from. I really don't know why people preach the things they do. When you read the Bible, the first reason for suffering that I looked at when I saw Job was, I noticed that when Job reacted to suffering correctly, he shut the devil's mouth. So number one would be this. Difficulties provide you with an opportunity to shut the enemy's mouth. Because when you worry, it's because he's talking to you. He's speaking to you. He's trying to get you to think of every negative thing that you can about that situation. Every worst case scenario, he wants to plague your mind with those thoughts. Because then he knows he can control you. Let me ask you something. Now, now and let me just say this. A lot of you, I just talked about what the doctor said to me this week. Some of you sitting out there, the report you've gotten from the doctor is way worse than the report I got. Please mis don't misunderstand me. I know that the report I got, even though I didn't want to get it, is way far away from some serious reports that some of you sitting right out there listening to me today have heard from your doctor. So I'm not here uh, going, my suffering, you know, my fish is bigger than your fish, my, my bad news is bigger than your bad news. Um, I'm just saying that it's, that it's amazing to me that as I go into this series, I've got this thing, and it's almost like God is going, I want you to preach it, I want you to tell it, and I'm going to give you what to preach, I'm going to give you, but I want you to walk this at the same time. I want you to walk this out at the same time. Because when he told me how risky it was to go in there and fix that situation in my eye and started listening to all the things that could happen, all the bad things that could happen, and that I might want to just, what do you think, where, where do you think the human nature, the mind goes? Where does it go? I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You know, this is the worst. Thing. You know, that's just our human nature. That's just how the enemy grabs hold of something and works on us. So I'm sure you remember the story of Job, so let's just kind of go over it a little bit. You know, people often preach on the book of Job, and they talk about Job, and they say, uh, one day Satan came to God and said, you know what, if you'll just move your hand out of the way, I'll get Job. Is that how it happened? No, it's not. It may surprise you to know, remember I told you the first part of this sermon, that God plans difficulties for us, so we will develop, grow, mature. I want you to notice at the first part of the book of Job that it was God that came to the enemy. It was God who came to Satan and said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And when God said that to Satan, Satan said, no wonder Job serves you. 
No wonder Job loves you. And no wonder Job has uh, given his life to you. You're so good to him. Matter of fact, you are so good to him. He is wealthy. He's rich. He's got an awesome family. He owns lands and herds and flocks and cattle. And you have built this wall of protection around him. I can't get to him. I can't touch him. I tell you what, God, this is what the enemy said. He said, I tell you what, God, you take away that protection. You take away that wall from Job and you let me get my hands on him and he'll curse the day he ever knew you. And God basically comes back, and I'm paraphrasing here, and says, Satan, you don't know my servant Job at all. Because I want to tell you something, Satan. He doesn't love me because of what I do for him. He doesn't love me because of what I do have given him and what I've blessed him with. He doesn't love me because the sun is always shining on his life. You know why he loves me, Satan? He loves me because of who I am. He loves me because I'm God. I'm his God. Job is no fair weather Christian. So Satan, I'm going to move my hand and I'm going to let you into his life. I'm going to move that protection and I'm going to allow you to take away Everything he has, but you can't take his life. You can't kill him, but you can take away everything he has. But I tell you what will happen. He's going to still love me. He's going to still serve me. You watch what happens. And God did it. And Satan moved in, and you know the story. I won't go through the whole thing, but he lost everything. He lost all of his riches. He lost all of his land. He even lost his family like a like it was like a tornado or some awful storm came in and just killed his whole family. And he lost everything. And then, and then his body was covered with sores, boils from the top of his head to the very bottom of his feet. And he would sit in sackcloth and ashes. And the Bible says he would take a stone and scrape those sores. This is a man who went from Hero to zero. This is a man who went from the top to the bottom because the enemy could come in. The enemy could have access to him. But you know what? Through that whole situation, Job trusted God. He trusted God. As a matter of fact, here's a couple things Job said. Job said, talking about God, because he felt like this, though he slay me, though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. He said, when I come out of this, I'm going to be like gold tried in the fire. Job stood that test. And if you'll keep reading through the book of Job, you will find out that he shut the enemy's mouth. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. You might be sitting here today going, I'm pretty sure God's lifted his protection from me. Because Satan and all of his buddies are focusing on me. Anybody ever felt like that? I remember this guy coming up to me. I spoke in a revival meeting one time when I was young. He came up to me in the revival meeting. He was crying. He was weeping. He was talking about how bad things were. And honestly, one of the things he listed that had gone wrong was the filter had stopped working on his swimming pool. I laid hands on him, but it was not in the spirit. I said, you know, we're spoiled. 
or spoiled. And many of us have never gone through those dark times. But the story of Job proves to us that when we praise God in the darkness, when we praise God in the pain, it'll shut the mouth of the enemy. When you face difficulty, always remember that you have an opportunity in that suffering to silence Satan. Because if you give in, and we're going to talk in a little minute, in a, in a little while, about how you can react to suffering. If you give in and react to suffering the way the enemy wants you to, it just magnifies his voice. It just proves to everybody that he is effective and he can be powerful in those things. It makes God look weak. Be careful. Be careful. Number two, difficulties provide you with an opportunity to shut the enemy's mouth. Number two, difficulties provide you with an opportunity to grow in God, to become more dependent on God. We're drawn nearer to God through difficulties. Let's face it. I don't know about you guys, but when I get bad news, I pray. When I hear trouble, I pray. I don't just pray, I pray more. When I hear something I don't understand and, and is a threat to me or a threat to the church or I perceive it that way, I'm in my Bible more. I'm on my knees more. I fast more. I get more serious about God when I'm going through trouble. Come on, everybody out there. I know you're like me. So God knows that, and so God's going to allow storms. He's going to allow difficulties in our life so that we will press into him. Listen to this. An axe, when you're going to sharpen an axe, you don't do that on a pound of butter. You sharpen an axe on a grindstone. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody on one of those old um, uh, grindstones where he kind of gets on it and pedals it and the grindstone turns and he puts his axe to the grindstone and the sparks are flying and it heats up and there's, there's uh, uh, just all kinds of uh, aggravation and agitation and that's how that axe gets sharper. That's how that axe becomes more powerful. That's how that axe is able to cut through and do the job it's supposed to do because it was put to the grindstone. And when you're going through difficulty, you're being put to the grindstone. Your, your life is being held against that hard place. What does the Bible say? Iron what? Sharpens iron. Not, not something soft, not something easy, but something just as hard as that iron makes the iron sharper. When we walk through the dark seasons of life, when we walk through those hard times, and listen, some of you right here, right now, you're going through some rough times. You say, Pastor, you don't even know what I'm going through. Hey, I... I I would say amen to that. There's some of you I do know what you're going through. There's some of you I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're walking through. But if we react in the right way to difficulty, God develops character in us. God develops qualities in us, qualities like patience, qualities like sympathy and empathy. Matter of fact, have you ever noticed people who have never suffered find it really hard to feel sorry for people? People who have never suffered find it real hard to say things like, well, I'll tell you what, if I was in that situation, here's what I'd do. Can I just say something to you? Shut up. <laughs> and can I also say this to you? I love you, but you have no idea what you do till you're there. 
You have no idea what you would do. I've said it. I've been stupid. I've said, well, I'll tell you what, if I was going through that, here's what. Hey, dum-dum, you have no idea what you would do. Because you got to be there. you got to walk through that. you got to feel that. you got to know the loneliness of that. you got to know the desperation of that. You've got to know the isolation of that. You, you've got to know the feeling that when you look to people for answers, nobody's got an answer for you. You look in the Bible and you can't even find there what you were hoping to find. You've just got to trust that God loves you. That's a, that's a tough place to be. So don't say what you would do because you don't know. But if you will react correctly, God will develop in you endurance. God will in, develop in you humility. And we could use a revival of humility in our world, couldn't we? I pastored a church out in the country outside of the little town of Four Oaks one time on the Devil's Racetrack. How many of y'all know where that is? I pastored a church on that road. Guy came up to me one day in the middle of the summer and he said, you know, preacher, it ain't the heat, it's the humility. There's your problem right there. Y'all didn't laugh at that because y'all do know it's humidity, right? Y'all, all right, thank you. And so... You know, God wants to develop in us that humble heart. Now listen, these qualities, qualities like sympathy and empathy, qualities like endurance, qualities like humility, and qualities like patience, they are hammered out and they are forged on the anvils of trouble. They are forged on the anvils of difficulty. They are created on the anvils of disappointment and sorrow. You ever heard somebody say, God always has a purpose in your trouble? I've heard people say that. I've said that. And then I've had people say to me, I hate it when some Christian comes along when you're, when you're going through a really difficult time. And those Christians say, well, God's got a purpose in it. You know, I understand where you might be offended by that, but can I say something to you? If you're going through something really bad, God's got a purpose in it. He really does. He's asking you, how are you going to respond to this? How are you going to react to this? Hey, trouble's coming. Difficulty's coming. But the question isn't whether it's coming or when it's coming or what it's going to be. We don't know. The response is, how am I going to respond to that? How am I going to respond to it? What am I going to let it do to me? And then I think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve sinned. Everything was perfect. Everything was beautiful. Everything was like, uh, I mean, it was like heaven on earth. But then there was this fruit, and they couldn't eat from that tree. And God goes, you can have everything else. You just can't eat that. And they were like, I think I want to eat that. I think that's what I want to eat. And so they listened to the serpent, and they fell for the trick. They committed sin. And I want to tell you what God said to them. God said to them, I, I, you know, this is not my plan. This is not what I wanted to do. But since you've done that, since you've chosen your way above my way, since you've listened to the serpent and you've done what he wants you to do rather than the perfect plan I had laid out for you, then I've got to give you something. I've got to allow you to go through something. It's called pain. It's called pain. And the, the first thing he mentioned when he talked about pain was thorns. He said, from now on, when you go to pick that rose bush, 
be really careful because there are going to be thorns on it now. And thorns represent pain. But here's the funny thing God said. And a lot of you sitting out there, you, you've asked the question, why does God allow this? And why does God allow suffering? And why does God allow the innocent and, and the, to suffer and to be killed? And, and why does God allow ISIS to do all these things? And, and why does this happen? And why doesn't God stop that? Hey, listen, I get all those questions. I've looked at stuff and thought the same thing myself. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad today, but I want to tell you something, man. We did it. We did it to ourselves. God said, I've got this perfect plan. You're never going to get sick. You're never going to get old. Uh, the only people who uh, were against that were the makeup people, you know, because they really, that's how they make their money. They said, you'll never get old. You'll never, you'll never waste away. You'll never get weaker. You'll never die. You're going to live forever. And we went, you know, that sounds good, but I think I'm going to eat that piece of fruit right there. So here's what God said. Listen, this is important. God said, I'm going to let pain come in your life. For your sake. Do y'all know what that means? Do y'all know, know another way to put that? I'm going to let pain come in your life for your what? For your good. And you go, that's messed up right there, pastor. Pain is not good. Let me tell you something. Pain is good. Pain tells you something's wrong. Pain tells you something is wrong. If it wasn't for pain, you could put your hand on a stove and you wouldn't know you'd put it on there until you smelled the grill cooking. So pain is a good thing. And God said, I'm going to let pain be in your life. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be sweat. There's going to be labor. There's going to be heartache and sorrow. It's all for your good. The worst thing God could have ever done, could have ever allowed to happen, would be for Adam and Eve uh, to uh, sin and have this curse upon them and everything remain comfortable. Everything remain the same. What does pain do? It teaches us to turn to God. It teaches us something's wrong, something's messed up. I need a Savior. When we see children suffering, when I walk through Duke Hospital in the children's ward and I see all those little bald heads in there, and I just feel my eyes fill up with tears, I, I'm like, they've not done anything, they're innocent. But ladies and gentlemen, that's the effects of sin. That's the effects of us choosing our own way and saying no to God. And these things remind us we need a Savior. We need somebody to rescue us. And there's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. And we need Him. Amen. If a doctor said he'd give you a pill and promise you that if you take that pill, there'd never be any more pain, would you take it? Pain is a gift from God. Without pain, you wouldn't know you need God. It's a gift. It's God's way of telling you that you'd better reach out to him for help. Cursed is the ground for your good. And God allowed this pain to come into our life. Now, the Bible says, I want to, I want to mention this, and then we're going to move to the last point. In Hebrews 12, I hope you'll study this when you get home. We're not going to read out of there, so you don't have to turn there, but I hope you'll write it down in your notes. God is talking to us about um, discipline, when he has to discipline us. He talks to us about being chastised. You ever heard that word? Let me tell you little kids out there, if, God, if, your, kids ever, if your parents ever say God's gonna chast, uh, they're going to chastise you, that's not a good thing. Write that down right now in your notes. 
Because God is saying, I'm a daddy, and when you misbehave, I'm going to spank you. How many of you ever had a spanking from God? I will tell you this. In the book of Psalms, chapter 23, the shepherd in that Psalm 23 is a picture of God, and it says he has a staff to hook the sheep and pull him back in, and he has oil to heal the sheep, but he's got something else in there. Thy what? Thy rod. He's got a rod in there. And he used the rod to discipline the sheep. And God says in Hebrews 12, when you as a Christian are being disciplined, when you are going through pain, when you are going through suffering, when you are going through difficulty, he says there's three possible reactions to that. The first one he says, I want to give you two reactions not to have. Don't do this. He says, when you get disciplined, when you're going through pain, when you're going through suffering, don't despise it. Don't let it make you bitter. Now, I know people in the church, Christians, who have gone through unspeakable trouble and they've let it make them bitter. They've let it make them angry. People who have been treated with injustice. All you got to do is be with them two minutes. And before you, you can be with them for two minutes. And before that two minutes is over, they're talking to you about how unfair they've been treated or what they've gone through. And, and they just get bitter because of what they go through. God says in Hebrews 12, not Pharaoh Hardison, but God says, don't let it make you bitter. If you're hurting today, if you're suffering, if you're going through a dark hour, if you're going through a difficult time, listen to your pastor. Don't let it make you bitter. I know it's hard. I know it's hard for it not to make you bitter, but don't let it do that. He said another thing, he said don't give up under it. He says don't faint under it. Don't be discouraged. Don't get depressed because you're going through difficulty. So don't get bitter and don't give up. Don't throw in the towel and go, you know what? If it's going to be like this, my cousin's husband uh, is a farmer. And when all these storms were going through a few years ago, just ripping the crops up, uh, about the time they'd go through, you know, they would go out in the field and try to sit the crops back up, and they would be blown over, and they'd try to sit them back up, and uh, here'd come another storm, blow them over again. I remember he put this big poster out in his field in an obvious place everybody would see it, and it simply said, I surrender. I give up. And it made the front page, I believe, of the News Argus. God is saying to you, no matter the storm, don't give up. No matter the difficulty, don't get bitter. I'm talking to somebody here today that you're on the verge of getting mad. Now, you can get mad at the enemy, but don't just get mad internally. Don't just get bitter internally. You say, you don't know what I'm going through. You know what? You may be right. But I know this. God is enough to keep you from getting bitter. Listen, when you're going through hard times, when you're going through difficult times, press in to God. Press in. Get on your knees. Read your Bible. Say, you know what? I know it's bad. I know it's bad. I know it's bad. I know the bad news keeps coming. But my God is able. I'm trusting my God. You all don't know him. A lot of you don't. Some of you do. But sitting up here on the front row is Eddie Jenkins. And Eddie Jenkins, Eddie Wave, Eddie Jenkins and his wife Sylvia are two of the godliest people I know. I'm not kidding you. She is a prayer warrior. Eddie's a prayer warrior. But I tell you, that Sylvia is just unbelievable. You know what else is unbelievable? What those two people have been through physically. 
man, I just can't. I'm telling you right now, I told my little story today about my eye. Nothing, nothing, nothing compared to what those two have been through physically. And you know what? They're two of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. They just have a sweet spirit. If anybody sitting in this room has a right to be bitter and angry and mad because life has been unfair to them, it's that man right there and his wife. She's not able to be here today. She's just not able. He told me about a condition she has before church today, and I just couldn't even believe. It's a whole new thing, a whole different thing. But if you were to see her today, she would say, oh, hey, honey, can I pray for you? Is there something? I She's just got that sweet spirit. You know what? I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if I'm there, man. You know, I, I don't know what the future holds for me, I, but, but I just pray, God, don't let me get bitter and don't let me give up when bad things happen to me. And then God gave us a third reaction in Hebrews 12. He said, this is what you do when bad things come. He told us two things not to do. Then he said, this is what you do. Be trained by it. Now he's talking about discipline there, but it's a, a form of pain. He says, be exercised, be trained. In other words, when you go through difficulty, it's an incredible opportunity to grow up. It's an incredible opportunity to get stronger. It's an incredible opportunity to learn to depend on God more than you ever have in your life before. And that brings us to the third purpose for pain, and that is to bring glory to God. How in the world, pastor, can suffering and pain bring glory to God? Well, you remember Lazarus, don't you? Lazarus was Jesus' dear friend. As a matter of fact, when Lazarus was sick, the disciples went to tell Jesus, and they said it this way, You're the friend that you love so much, that's the way they describe Lazarus, is sick. He's very, very sick. It looks like he's not going to make it. You know what Jesus did? Stayed two days more where he was. He didn't come immediately. And when he got there, Lazarus wasn't sick anymore. He was dead. So, you know, Martha and Mary were Lazarus' sisters. And Martha was that outspoken one. I mean, if it entered her head, it came out of her mouth. Y'all know anybody like that? Don't point. Some of y'all got that quality, you know. I've had that quality. It comes in your head, comes out your mouth. I mean, have y'all ever said anything and then tried to reach out there and get it? Too late. So when Jesus comes up, Martha just walks right up to him and goes, I love you, Jesus. I want you to know this. Let's just go ahead and lay the groundwork right now. I love you. However, had you come when we told you to, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. Had you done what we said, had you gone by our plan, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. He'd be alive today. And so then Mary comes out. Now, you all remember Mary. Mary was humble. Mary was uh, always at the feet of Jesus. She was very quiet. So Mary comes out, and the Bible says she falls down at the feet of Jesus. And she goes, if you had come. So Martha just says it like this. Mary's down at his feet, but she's looking down, so respectful. If you had come when we sent for you, our brother would not be dead. So she was ticked off too. Ticked off is the Greek word for mad. So they were both angry, and they were just telling Jesus, if you had come... And Jesus said, he's going to live again. And they said, 
We know he's going to live in the last days when, G, when you return to set up your kingdom. The graves will burst open and he'll live. We know all about eschatology. We got that. We know he's going to live then. Jesus said, what you don't remember is that I am the resurrection. I can call anybody up anytime I want to. So he walked up to the grave. I thought this is just so incredible. Tears flowing down his face knowing he's going to raise him from the dead. And what does Jesus say? Roll the stone away. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. One theologian said, had he not said Lazarus, all the graves would have burst open. And you got to see the humor in the Bible. Does anybody see humor in the Bible other than me? So Lazarus is bound like a mummy. So he's coming out. That's why Jesus said the next thing he said, loose him and let him go. He's hopping around like a rabbit. So they loosed him and let him go, and Lazarus was alive. Now I want to tell you that in John eleven four, 4, here's what Jesus said about that situation, that dark, dark, hopeless situation. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, sick, Lazarus sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. Whoa, that's a new twist, isn't it? Sickness for the glory of God. I thought the only thing that would bring God glory is healing. I love healing. Who's been healed in here? God's healed you. Thank God for healing. But let me tell you something. Anybody can praise God when you get healed. We need some folks that know how to praise God on the flat of their back. We need some people who know how to praise God when the sun's gone down, when nobody knows what to do, when there are no answers, when the doctor's saying all the wrong things, when all the money's gone, when all the relationships are falling apart. Let me tell you something. Unbelievers, you know when they look at us? When we're going through the storm. When we're going through the difficulty, that's when unbelievers look at us. They don't look at us when stuff's going great. They're like, I could praise God during that time. But man, when your world is on fire, they're looking at you. They're looking at you to see how you respond, how you respond to unexpected pain and disappointment and sorrow. How you respond to that testifies. It either speaks for God or against God. It either brings him glory or it brings a reproach on his name. Now let me tell you about storms and then I'm done. There are two kinds of storms. Sometimes the storm you're in, you brought it on yourself. Can we get some fessing up right here today? How many of y'all have gone through storms and you caused it? If you didn't raise your hand, you just sinned, and so you're going to go through a storm, all right? Call me, let me know how it goes. But how many of you have gone through a storm and for, I mean, you looked for every reason in the world, everything you had done, and you couldn't find anything that you had really done that, that you felt like was a result of you going through this storm? How many have been there? Come on. I've been there. Well, you know what? Both of those storms are in the Bible. There's a man named Jonah. He was in a storm. Can I ask you something? Did he cause it? Yes, sir. Sin ran from God. God got arrogant and cocky and 
Man, when that happens, the Bible says pride goes before what? Fall. But then there's another place in the Bible where Jesus tells all his disciples to get on a boat and go out into the sea, and he knows they're going into a storm. They don't know it. Greg Fischel hadn't been born yet. (laughs) And they didn't know they were going into a storm. Listen, Jesus, they were innocent. They had done no wrong. Jesus sent them into a storm. You're going to be in storms in your life you caused. You're going to be in storms in your life when you didn't do a thing in the world wrong. God just sent you into it. Here's the good news. He's the same God in both storms. He's the same God in both storms. If you caused it, he will run to you when you cry out, just like he will run to you when you're in a storm you didn't cause and you cry out. That is so awesome. That's love I don't understand. See, if I was God, man, God forbid. But I'd be like, hey, man, you cause that one, rock around a little bit. I might come out there. (laughs) Go under a few times. But you know what? God was like, I'm coming. Because Jonah fought God, man. He fought God. I mean, he fought God after he got in the belly of the whale. Took him three days to get hold of God. And he was in the belly of a fish. You say, do you really believe that, Pastor? I'd believe it if it said Jonah swallowed a big fish. I'd believe that. So he's down in there. He's praying. Finally, the Bible says in Jonah, he cried out. And when he cried out, that whale who had been going down started going up. And there is nothing that will nauseate you more than a sinning preacher. Because that fish got sick. And he came up on the shore and went, I got to get rid of this. Sin and preacher has upset my stomach. And the Bible says he just threw him up on the shore. Don't y'all like this graph? Y'all seeing that picture in your mind? And Jonah standing up in the slime going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and the Bible says that those disciples who were out in the middle of that storm were crying out, Lord, Lord. And Jesus came what? Walking on the water, baby. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. So here we are. I'm done. Let me just close it up. So when I suffer, I've got to say that it's an opportunity for me to shut Satan's mouth. Because I'm telling you, when Eddie and Sylvia go through what they go through and they just keep on praising God, Satan has to shut up and move on. And when you're going through difficulty, it's an opportunity for you to come into God. Come in. Come in close to God. Come in. Get him around the knees. Get, get, get hold of him like Jacob did in Genesis and go, I won't let you go till you bless me. And then finally, be willing to say, God, I'll go through this. If it brings glory to you, if it brings glory to you, I'll go through it. I'll go through it. Father, thank you for the truth of your word today. Let's all stand, would you? Thank you for the truth of your word. Prayer team, will you please come and find your place? Any staff that's available, come. Thank you for this message today on worry, anxiety, rooted in fear. God, let us take this home today, God. Don't let us, don't let us forget what we've heard today, but let us take it home And when trouble comes, or if we're already in trouble, let us begin to think, how 
Can I react to this in a way that will shut Satan's mouth, that will help me become a better Christian, and that will bring glory to my king? Because I don't want to respond like the world would respond. I want to respond like the child of a king. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. So clear today. Don't let me faint under suffering. Don't let me give up. Don't let me get bitter. Let me learn. Let me learn. Every suffering I go through, God, I want to learn. I want to learn to be more like you. Help me do it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.